Welcome to the NBA Dynasty Podcast, the long-awaited, long-delayed NBA Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Lawson. You can follow me on Twitter at NBA Dynasty ADP. And if you haven't already, head on over to FBIBasketball.com and join the Fantasy Basketball International community on Discord. And check out all of the wonderful free content from both me and the incredible Adam King, including Adam's way too early rankings for the 2023-2024 season. Now, wherever you are watching or listening to this, whether on YouTube or on your podcast platform of choice, please hit that subscribe button so that you can continue to get weekly shows from me, from Adam King, including his interview series that's going to be coming out all too soon where Adam is going to be going in-depth with a number of the top analysts in the fantasy basketball industry. And if you want to put some wind in the sails of this podcast to make it keep happening, if you want to be able to support my independent fantasy content, go check out my Patreon page, patreon.com slash NBA Dynasty ADP for a mere $5 a month, you get access to my premium dynasty rankings, which include 2023 rookies ranked among the NBA players, my 2023 NBA draft big board, and you get to be first in line for new dynasty league opportunities that are going to be starting as early as this month. I promise to make it worth your while, so check it out. Now, we've, we're going to have plenty of time to talk about what this podcast is going to bring to you in future episodes. We are going to strive to go as deep as possible into the NBA to be able to give you an edge in your dynasty league. That is my promise. Today, we're going to get into what I think is one of the most important facets of preparing for the offseason, which is understanding how this past season ended. Because that's right. The season-long players, they're heading out the door. We're waving goodbye to them. They might not be back until October. They might check in during the draft, poke around. They might look a little bit during free agency, think about fantasy a few times. But you, you, the dynasty manager, are going to be going all offseason long, thinking about these things before the season-long managers ever are. Because as dynasty managers, we need to know everything that season-long managers know, and we need to know what's going to happen in the future beyond that. It's not just focused on a single season. It's focused on years ahead. And that's the work that we do all off-season long. That's why this is Dynasty season. And today we're going to start with my end-of-season Dynasty rankings for both categories and points leagues. You can find those on both FBIBasketball.com and the free version. And you can find the premium rankings at Patreon.com slash NBA Dynasty ADP. And it's going to be able to be your best guideline for the value for players in Dynasty leagues, regardless of your format, regardless of your size. We've got a ranking for you. And today we're going to talk about some of the risers in my end-of-season rankings, the players who have moved up the most relative to their position in my post-trade deadline rankings that came out in February. Uh, My end-of-season rankings just came out in the last couple weeks, and they give you a really good idea as a starting point of what values are going to look like throughout the offseason into the 23-24 season. To be able to do that, we want to start with the number one big riser, the player that everyone's kind of talking about in fantasy circles for the way that he ended the season. And that is, of course, Mikhail Bridges. Now, we've all appreciated Mikhail Bridges for a long time. Bridges has been kind of a rock in fantasy for a number of years throughout his career in Phoenix, a guy that has played in 82 games each of his NBA seasons and someone who doesn't really hurt you across any categories. And that's that was the hallmark, the trademark of Mikhail Bridges, that he was an excellent roto guy because you were just going to get that smooth stat line, no weaknesses, uh, some spikes 
in defensive stats on occasion, good percentages, kind of your prototypical nine-cat roto guy uh, who helps you across an entire season to be able to provide a nice base for your team's statistical foundation. But everything changed when Bridges moved over to the Brooklyn Nets. And that's what we need to be able to assess as dynasty managers going forward. Now, I knew Bridges was going to score more when he moved over to the Nets, but I didn't realize how much. And I knew that Bridges was likely going to be able to see some improvement in his fantasy value. That's why I moved him up after my po- in my post-trade de- deadline rankings. But immediately became clear over what now is almost 30 games with the Brooklyn Nets, I didn't move Bridges up enough. Because what we have seen from Bridges, what we have seen after the trade deadline, is one of the most impressive leaps forward for a player who's nearly 27 years old that I can remember in NBA history. Post-trade deadline, and you can see it there in front of you, Bridges is, was has averaged over 26 points per game, hitting over 2.5 threes, 4.5 rebounds, 2.7 assists, a steal, and about half a block. And he's done that on kind of his hallmark efficiency. Still shooting over 47% from the field despite the volume, nearly 90% from the free throw line on 6.6 free throw attempts, making a huge impact in that free throw percentage category, and over 60% true shooting. And that's on 30% usage. Now, 30% is high. It's not exceptionally high. We're not talking about someone who's kind of at that Luka Doncic level of usage, but Bridges has unquestionably uh, put himself into the category of players who can be the number one on an NBA offense. Maybe not a great NBA offense. The Nets have struggled in many ways and had a losing record since the trade deadline when they moved on from both Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. But they're still a solid team. And Bridges has been the offensive engine of that team. And while we did see some decrease in his efficiency, he still managed to be able to hit efficiently from mid-range, hitting threes at an extremely high volume and finishing at the rim at his usual strong clip. So what does this mean going forward for Bridges? Now, I've moved him up in my categories rankings to number 29 in categories, just inside of the top 30. And that's a 15-slot increase from my post-trade deadline rankings. He's moved up in points from number 40, or or up to number 40, over 21 slots. And points leagues are really an area where Bridges lagged behind in the past because his game was better suited for categories leagues. It was more dependent on defensive stats and percentages, which don't weigh as heavily in points leagues. Now his stat set has shifted where he's scoring a lot more, which is going to contribute a lot more significantly in a points format. So I, as you can see, have some degree of confidence that what we're seeing from Bridges is going to continue. My issue is this, the Brooklyn Nets, as we are seeing right now in the playoffs against the Philadelphia 76ers, are not in their final form. This is not the next great Brooklyn Nets roster. And there are certainly pieces, that, including Bridges, that could be part of that next great Brooklyn Nets roster. But I think there's going to be significant changes moving forward. I expect that Sean Marks is going to make moves to be able to add more on-ball creation and to try to create a roster that is a little bit more balanced, that has a little bit more offensive firepower. And Bridges may be the number one into next season. That's entirely possible. He has done enough to be able to warrant that. Long-term, I think he's likely a 1B to a top-level creator, an offensive engine, or maybe even an excellent number two uh, to a superstar if the Nets are so lucky to be able to acquire one. But in the meantime, what we're going to see from Bridges and what I project is that he's going to continue to be a very strong contributor in the points category and the free throw percentage category because he has shown an ability to be able to get to the line and continue to hit free throws at the same elite clip that he did during his time in Phoenix. 
he's going to be an elite contributor in both points and free throw percentage, unless there are major changes to the Brooklyn Nets roster in the near future. And you saw that in the final portion of the season with the Nets. He was number 30 in 8-cat, number 40 in points. That's why I've put him in that range uh, in my cat dynasty rankings, because I think that can largely hold. That was a combination of both a super hot start in Brooklyn and his efficiency falling off a little bit at the end. I think that's something similar to what we should see next season. And for a 27-year-old player, what we are focused on is their current season production. And right now, that's what I project Bridges to do, to be able to continue on doing what he finished the season doing if the Nets roster looks similar next year, which I expect it largely will. I think they will make some moves around the edges. I think they might move on from some of the players on their team, but I do expect that Bridges is largely going to be in a similar role to what he finished the year in with Brooklyn. Now, Bridges isn't the only player who really proved to be exceptional toward the end of the season. And actually, I want to talk about a player next who is somewhat similar uh, in his stats at to Bridges, uh, who I think could grow into the kind of player that Bridges has now become. And that is one of our favorite rookies, Jalen Williams from Oklahoma City, J-Dub, who absolutely took the fantasy world by storm during the second half of the NBA season, made a hard push for rookie of the year, um, and put up one of the more efficient rookie seasons that you will ever see, especially on a team that exceeded all expectations in the Oklahoma City Thunder, nearly made their way into the playoffs and have about a bright of, as bright of a future as any NBA roster with Chet Holmgren's return around the corner. Now, the statistics for Williams after the break are pretty fantastic. 18.6 points, 1.23 pointers, 5.4 rebounds, 4.3 assists, 1.7 steals. And I'm going to pause there because prior to New Year's, prior to January 1st, 2023, Jalen Williams was okay stealing the ball. Wasn't exceptional. Got a decent number of steals in his limited minutes. And something clicked because in the year 2023, from January 1 onward, Jalen Williams had the most steals in the entire NBA. So this was not a flash in the pan. This is a player who developed his defensive feel in those early weeks of the NBA season and something clicked. And from that point onward, he was a consistent elite contributor in the steals category. And that completely changed his fantasy game. Averaging 1.7 steals after the all-star break, Williams all of a sudden became one of the best contributors in the steals category in all of fantasy basketball. And on top of that, he was delivering elite percentages. 64% true shooting from a rookie is incredible. 42.9 three-point percentage. 88% from the line on 3.8 field free throw attempts post-All-Star. And this is only on 20% usage. And this is why Jalen Williams is a fantasy star. This is why I have moved Williams up to number 30 in my categories rankings, number 45 in my points rankings. The reason that he made that massive leap, not only because of the steals, but because Jalen Williams is showing an ability to be able to deliver fantasy production with limited usage. Even in this post-All-Star period, it was not a case like with Mikhail Bridges, where all, all of a sudden he was up to 30% usage. And everyone keeps saying to me, and I, I hear this comment repeatedly with Jalen Williams, well, you know, but Chet's coming in, and they're going to add another lottery pick. Uh, you know, what, what is it going to look like? There's too many mouths to feed. This is why we like Jalen Williams, because he had 20% usage and was delivering at an elite clip through the entire second half of the NBA season. He does not need to be a big usage player to be able to deliver in fantasy. And that 
is the kind of player that you want to invest in in Dynasty because they are role-proof. Jalen Williams is always going to get big minutes because he is a good defender, because he can dribble, pass, and shoot, and because he has prototypical NBA wing size. This guy is not leaving any starting lineup across a very long NBA career. And his ceiling is not only an NBA all-star, but a potential all-NBA player. We could be looking at the next great NBA wing in Jalen Williams because this kind of efficiency at this young of an age, even for being a little bit of an older rookie, to be able to do this at 21 years old, just starting out in the NBA, suggests that the ceiling is as high as Jalen Williams can go. So I'm fully in. Number 30 in categories, I think I'm higher than anyone else in the industry. I fully believe in Jalen Williams. And I believe that when Chad Holmgren comes in, there is not going to be a significant impact on his fantasy value. If anything, I think Williams will continue on doing what he did during the second half of the season next year. And that's what I would project him to do going forward. And there's so much room for growth in this stat set. If, you, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see that career peak fantasy stat set that I project for him. Being strong in field goal percentage and free throw percentage being strong in the points category, being elite in steals, strong in assists. But what if he starts to develop as a more competent three-point shooter? That is really the swing skill that could change everything for him. Because right now, yes, Jalen Williams shoots threes, shoots them at a fairly efficient clip, but the volume isn't that high. But what if Chip England gets Jalen Williams to the point that he's shooting high-volume three-pointers? And suddenly, he takes another leap forward. And we could be looking at a guy who lives inside of the top 20, top 15 of fantasy rankings every, sing every single season. That's the ceiling for Jalen Williams, and it is exceptionally high. I cannot recommend it enough that if anyone doubts Jalen Williams in your league, if the, the manager who lucked into being able to get him in the rookie draft thinks that they need to sell high, they're not selling high enough. And he should be a target for you in the offseason to be able to test the waters as Chet Holmgren comes in, Maybe Oklahoma City moves up in the lottery. Maybe they make a big trade in the offseason. There could be a lot of things that scare people away from Jalen Williams. You need to be ready to pounce because Jalen Williams is, ex is extreme, extremely real. And he's going to be a fantasy superstar for a long time. Coming up next, another player who made a dramatic leap, had incredible efficiency in only his second NBA season. That is, of course, Trey Murphy III. Now, in my end-of-season dynasty rankings, I've moved Trey Murphy III up 29 slots up to number 63 in my categories rankings, moved him up 26 slots to number 95 in points. And again, this is a player who lags a little bit behind in a points format because a lot of his value comes from things that have less weight in a points format. He's an elite three-point shooter, brings solid uh, contributions and steals and free throw percentage. And he's a little bit weaker as a rebounder, low assists. And when you don't have those popcorn stats, when you're really only bringing to the table one of the three popcorn stats, you're just getting points, you're not getting the rebounds and assists, you're going to lag behind points. But what we saw from Trey Murphy this year was efficiency from all three levels and an ability to be able to scale up that efficiency when the stars were out, when you didn't have Brandon Ingram in the lineup, when Zion was out for most of the season, when even C.J. McCollum was out too. We got moments where it was high usage, Trey Murphy III, and he rose to the occasion almost every single time. That is the flash that tells you that the ceiling for Trey Murphy III is way higher than we thought it was. It tells you that this is a player who not only is an NBA starter, but a potential NBA star. Because that scalability, the ability to be able to take his game up a level and still maintain efficiency at high usage, 
tells you that there's so much more for him than just being an NBA role player. And that's why I've shifted him dramatically in my rankings. Post-All-Star, you saw in 35 minutes a game, a huge role. He had 18.4 points, 3.4 three-pointers, 3.3 rebounds, 1.8 assists, 1.4 steals, 0.6 blocks. And all this is coming on 67% true shooting, truly elite, 42.2% from three on high volume, 89.7% from free throw on 3.4 free throw attempts. And folks, it's only an 18% usage. So big minutes, low usage, and delivering in fantasy to that degree. Number 38 in eight cat per game. This is going to be a huge moment for Trey Murphy III because we're going into an offseason where the Pelicans have obviously underachieved. There are questions about Zion Williamson. And I think most people are going to look at Trey Murphy III and say, well, Zion's going to come back and those minutes are going to evaporate and he's going to be a faller next season. And I would submit this. Trey Murphy III is a better prospect and a better long-term investment for the Pelicans than Herb Jones. Herb Jones is incredible defensively. He's better than Trey Murphy III defensively. They're similar size, and Trey Murphy III is miles ahead as an offensive player. And in the long run, the spacing that Trey Murphy III is going to provide is going to be what unlocks the Pelicans' offense and optimizes Zion Williamson, which is still going to be their focus next year and in the year beyond that. So my hope, my belief, is that Trey Murphy III is going to take on a large role for the Pelicans next season, that we're going to see a little bit of a scaling back of the role for Herb Jones, and that Trey Murphy III will continue to deliver top 100 fantasy value at least next season, with the potential across his prime to be a top 50 player. And yes, there's some uncertainty there. That's why I haven't pushed him into the top 50, the top 40, but he has all of that potential to be able to reach those levels. The ceiling is extremely high. And a lot is still to be settled within that Pelicans rotation going forward or what it's going to look like long-term. We need to be able to see where Dyson Daniels is going to fit into the equation. We're going to see another draft pick coming into the fold for them going forward. And undoubtedly, there are going to be trades that they're going to make to be able to cash in on all the assets that they have to be able to develop a team around Zion Williamson while they still have Zion on the roster before any trade discussions, before any further injuries, they're going to continue to try to build around Zion. And I think Trey Murphy III is a player that fits around Zion, that will excel around Zion. And that will be the focus of what the Pelicans do next year. So I'm making that investment. I'm investing in Trey Murphy III. I believe in what he did this season. And I think the Pelicans would be wise to do the same. Now, speaking of investment, if you saw me on Josh Lloyd's podcast, Locked On Fantasy Basketball, Last week, you heard us discussing Shaden Sharp and Josh, who has sources inside of the Blazers organization, dropped a little bit of a scoop, uh, which opened my eyes and made me rethink how I view the Blazers going forward and how I view Shaden Sharp. Josh said on that podcast that he has heard that Anthony Simons is likely to be gone this offseason, that the Blazers are likely to package him and their 2023 NBA draft lottery pick that they're going to have and that they're going to try to take another shot at winning with Damian Lillard, moving Shaden Sharp into Anthony Simon's starting position as shooting guard. And at the end of the season, we saw Shaden Sharp 
do things that we had hoped we would see from Shaden Sharp. Post-All-Star averaged, it had strong, strong contributions in points and threes. And prior to that, in his NBA season, we saw Sharp in an extremely limited offensive role. Uh, Sharp was number 271 in eight cat throughout the entire season, number 246 in points. And ultimately he was a spot up catch and shoot three point shooter did fairly well at that had some spectacular putback dunks. Occasionally the fun block where he rose well above the rim, but for fantasy, there was very little just hope and flashes and athleticism. But what we saw after the all-star break truly changed everything. And what we saw, especially in April, gave a little preview into what Sharp could become long-term. Now, all silly season caveats apply. Sharp was going, was playing in games that were not competitive because the Blazers weren't trying to win. But what you want to see from young players is their ability to be able to rise up in those moments and create offense. And Sharp did that. And he also showed contributions in categories that we hadn't seen from him in his limited role throughout most of the NBA season. In four games in April, Sharp averaged 22.8 points, 2.33 pointers, 6.3 rebounds, and five assists. Now, the five assists are the thing that's super interesting to me because Sharp had, I believe, 37 assists entirely in the pre-All-Star period. That's a huge chunk of the year to only have 37 assists. And he also had 37 turnovers during that portion for an even assist-to-turnover ratio. Not a good indicator. But again, that was a product of role rather than what Sharp can be long-term. And I think if Sharp is going to get a starting spot with the Blazers, no, he's not going to have the kind of usage that he did during those April games. That was that was the Blazers intentionally trying to lose. But if they have the faith to be able to make him a starter, if he's going to be put into that position, if he's going to be able to do, I think you're going to be able to see something pretty similar to what we've seen from Anthony Simons translated over to Shaden Sharp in that role in 23-24. And that's why I pushed him up in my rankings. And honestly, I'm going to be giving thought to whether he needs to push up more. I, I think that will likely happen if Simons gets moved, because I don't know if that's a certainty. Plans can change. But if Sharp truly is going to be inserted as a starter, uh, he's likely going to need to move up further because the upside is a star scoring wing in the NBA. And those are extraordinarily valuable in fantasy. And I believe in a player with this athleticism and wingspan developing more in categories that he doesn't contribute in right now. I think he can at least be a solid contributor in steals and blocks long-term, even though he hasn't shown that so far in his NBA career. You saw an uptick in his block rate throughout this season. And I think that is something that can continue because this is a player who all of a sudden realized with his vertical leap, how he could time that to be able to block shots in the NBA. And he started to see it more and more as the season went on. Some pretty spectacular blocks. I think that can continue. With a player with his wingspan and lateral quickness can develop feel to be a better help defender. And once that happens, I think he could jump passing lanes and get more steals. And we definitely saw at the end of the season that his scoring gravity could lead him to be able to get assists, which he did late in the season as the primary offensive engine for the Blazers. So, Overall, I see a prospect with an extremely high ceiling because he can already shoot. And often we have these super athletic wings. And the question is, well, if they shoot, Shane Sharp can already shoot. That's huge. That's why I have confidence in him. That's why I've moved him up to number 75 in my categories rankings, up 15 slots, up to number 81 in points, up 19 slots. 
Because a player like this that can already shoot, that has this kind of athleticism, is just waiting for a little bit more skill development, waiting for a larger role, and then they can explode. And we got a flash of that at the end of the season that I believe in as being sustainable once he enters his prime going forward. And as one of the youngest players in the NBA to be able to do what he did, playing on a team that was trying to win through most of the NBA season, I think we could see that big leap forward as soon as next year, possibly by year three. And the Blazers' investment in Sharp makes me want to invest in him in Dynasty. Now, if you were following fantasy basketball toward the end of the season, one of the biggest developments was Emmanuel Quickly. And this predated Jalen Brunson's injury, which kind of thrust Quickly into a larger starting role. He had that huge game against Boston that everybody watched that kind of put his star on the map uh, in this NBA season. But even prior to that, we saw Tom Thibodeau finally gain confidence in Emmanuel Quickly. Finally start to see Quickly as someone who could not just be a role player off of the bench. Not just an instant offense sixth man, not just a spot-up shooter, but a core, a core contributor that he trusted defensively. And as a result of that, as of a result of that confidence that we saw invested into Quickly and the development in his game, I've moved him up to number 97 in my categories rankings, up 36 slots, 93 in my points rankings, up 52 slots. And I know that sounds like a huge leap forward, but what we saw from Quickly during the second half of the NBA season suggests that he is not only a future starter, but a potential fantasy star. Post-All-Star break, quickly averaged 21 points per game, three three-pointers, 4.5 rebounds, 4.2 assists, 1.4 steals, 0.3 blocks, on 60% true shooting, 40% from three, 81% from the line on 3.7 free throw attempts, on 25% usage in 32 minutes. That's good enough for number 46 and 8-cat during that stretch, and number 55 in points. So there's proof of concept. On a team that was winning, on a team that was trying to win, Emmanuel quickly was playing 32 minutes a night and delivering top 50 value. So if, if that doesn't sound like the kind of player that you want to invest in, in in Dynasty, especially at his young age, then I don't know what you're looking for. And I get it. A lot of our opinions of quickly were kind of baked in in the last few seasons where Tom Thibodeau didn't seem to trust to give him enough minutes and a big enough role. Where R.J. Barrett was getting all of the opportunity and quickly was waiting in the wings. But that shifted throughout this season, and I think that it's going to shift, going to continue to shift going forward because Quickly has developed so much in his game. He's become a strong rebounder. He's become a solid defensive player. He's overcome some of the limitations physically that limited him and made him a lower-end NBA draft pick. And for me, I think that Quickly is going to be able to be an NBA starter across his career. I think his shooting and development defensively is going to make him a big minute starter. Uh, whether that be for the Knicks or anyone else, his prime is going to be easily, easily a consistent top 100 fantasy production stretch. And I could, I could push myself up to top 75 or top 50, depending on the context that he gets to play in. Um, and right now, I don't know if a lot of people in your league view him that way. I don't know if Emmanuel quickly is viewed as even a starter to a lot of people because he's going to win sixth man of the year. Uh, he's viewed as kind of an instant offense guy, a smaller guard. 
I don't know if the perception in your league is that Emmanuel quickly is going to make that leap to fantasy stardom going forward. And if it isn't, if someone's looking to sell high, this is not a sell high. This is a buy. I'm invested in Emmanuel quickly. I think you should be too. And he's someone that I'm going to be looking to acquire in as many leagues as possible this offseason. Now, if we're talking about big leaps uh, from players who've kind of taken that shift from role player to starter, you have to talk about Austin Reeves. And we're seeing it in the NBA playoffs now. In game one, Grizzlies-Lakers, Reeves kind of put himself on the map to a national audience that may not have been paying attention to the progression that he made during the second half of the season for the Lakers. Reeves is not only a really good NBA role player, but I think what we're seeing now is that his efficiency from all three levels, and this is a consistent strain across all of these players. We're seeing all of these players who are these big dynasty risers be so efficient from at the rim, efficient from mid-range, efficient from three. And they took that efficiency and they scaled it up to be able to show an ability to be efficient still at higher usage. And that's exactly what Reeves did down the stretch of the NBA season. Post-All-Star break with LeBron James out for the large portions of that time, Reeves in 30 minutes averaged 17.6 points, 1.53 pointers, 3.1 rebounds, 5.5 assists, 0.5 steals, 0.2 blocks. And he did that on 73.4 true shooting. 73.4. Just absolutely outrageous. And this is only in 20% usage. 44.3% from three. 85.6% from the line on 6.4 free throw attempts. And I want to pause on that one uh, because if you followed the discourse, there was a point where Reeves was just getting to the line at an absolute elite clip. Looked like an NBA superstar getting to the line, how many fouls he was drawing. And that is a skill. That is in a Lakers whistle. This is what who Reeves is. He has an ability to be able to drive. He can draw and finish through contact. Despite being smaller in stature, he's strong. And Reeves is not just a three-point shooter. In fact, that's not even close to the best part of his game. I think stereotypically we would assume that Reeves is a three-point gunner. He's always been more of a reluctant three-point shooter. He's shooting efficiently from three. He's able to create from three a little bit more than he was previously. But Reeves is really good with the ball in his hands. And one of the biggest leaps that we saw from him over the second half of the season especially with LeBron out, was that he filled that playmaking usage vacuum from LeBron. And all of a sudden you saw that assist rate rise up. A Reeves' ability to be able to gather assists in bunches suggests that long-term he can be a secondary playmaker on the Lakers or wherever he ends up in restricted free agency this offseason. And that's one of the big tipping points. I would be shocked if the Lakers did not bring Reeves back especially because of the limitations that there will be on his next contract as an undrafted player. But what we should expect from Reeves is that he's going to be playing a big minute role going forward. You cannot put the toothpaste back in the tube on Austin Reeves at this point. He has proven to be too good, too efficient as a scorer, has proven himself to be solid enough defensively as an on-ball defender, still has work to do as a help defender, but the offense is good enough that it supports the big minutes. and. Honestly, right now, I have him at number 118 in categories. That was up 93 slots. Number 120 in points. That's up 108 slots because of what we saw his game scale to with a bigger role with LeBron out and now with LeBron back. That might not be high enough. 
this could be a guy who is about to go on a stretch of top 100 seasons for a long time. And I'm going to be intensely interested to see how the roster, the roster for the Lakers gets constructed next year and how Reeves fits into that. But at this point, I think there's no doubt that he's going to be playing 30 plus minutes a night. They can't turn back on that. He needs to be prioritized over a D'Angelo Russell, a Dennis Schroeder, a Malik Beasley. He already is, and I think he will continue to be. Because Reeves is legitimate. This is not a flash in the pan. There are star qualities here. His ability to be able to draw fouls, the playmaking, the score, the efficient scoring at the rim. Reeves is 95th percentile in the entire NBA at efficiency at the rim. 95th percentile for all players, not just guards, not just players his height. The entire NBA, 95th percentile. 97th percentile from mid-range this year. 84th percentile from three. That's his weak point, 84th percentile from three. So that kind of efficiency cannot be ignored. And he did it last season too, just in a smaller role. So he's going to keep growing. He's going to continue to have a large role for the Lakers. And you should be investing in Austin Reeves and Dynasty, even with the deficiencies in his game. He's never going to rebound. He's never going to get defensive stats. That's, that's likely not coming. But if the minutes are high enough, the steals could be okay. And you're going to take it because you're going to be getting strong percentages, solid contributions in points and threes, and really good free throw percentage from a guy who can actually impact that category because he can get to the line so often. So while many might think that Reeves was just a product of LeBron being out, don't buy that. Reeves is for real, and he's going to have an extremely strong 23-24 season and beyond. All right, now th those are some of the big breakout stars of the final portion of the season, the guys that I really wanted to highlight. But there's a few young players that I want to talk about that showed some interesting things in the G League that need to be highlighted, that can't be ignored at this point. And first, I want to talk about Usman Jang. Now, Jang was kind of the forgotten lottery pick, along with Johnny Davis uh, of the 2022-2023 NBA season. We didn't see a lot of Jang. He played a little bit early in the season for the Thunder in a small role. Uh, then he disappeared for a while uh, with both injury and, and spending time with the Oklahoma City uh, Blue in the G League. But something happened. For an extremely young player, a 19-year-old, Jang made some huge developments in the G League that we need to be aware of because they didn't entirely show themselves in stat lines in the NBA, and many people in your league might not be aware of them. They might think Usman Jang is just a bust. Or they've forgotten about him entirely. Easy to do, considering that his teammate, Jalen Williams, took all the headlines. That's the lottery pick that everyone remembers from the Oklahoma City Thunder this year. But at 6'9", with a big frame, Jang has the potential to be a long-term starting power forward for the Oklahoma City Thunder next to Chet Holmgren. And that's a spot that we should have a lot of interest in going forward. Who's going to fill that role in the front court next to Chet Holmgren? Are they going to put a more traditional center next to Chet? Or, as I suspect, are they going to try to continue to build out their roster the way that Sam Presti seems to be doing in the draft? Getting a bunch of guys who are 6'6 and above, a lot of them 6'8, 6'9, who can dribble, pass, and shoot. Presti is building this super-sized lineup of skilled players, and Jang fits into that mold. That's why we need to take notice. Now, in the G League, 
Jang played 34 minutes a night over 20 games. He averaged 16.5 points two point, and hit 2.3 three-pointers, had 8.3 rebounds, 3.7 assists, and some minor contributions in steals and blocks. But what was interesting is that he was attempting 6.5 threes a game. Now, that's not uncommon in the G League. A lot of guys are putting up a lot of threes. It's very up and down. But it's important for a player who's only 19 years old like Jang to show that kind of confidence in his three-pointer. And it extended into when he returned to the Oklahoma City lineup in the second half of the season. Jang played in 20 games after All-Star Weekend, and he averaged only 14 minutes a night. But in those 20 games, he attempted 2.7 three-pointers across those 14 average minutes. That's 6.9 attempts per 36, which would have put him 78th percentile across the entire NBA for the season. That's the kind of volume three-point shooting that will get him into the lineup going forward. That's going to expand his minutes. Because defensively, there's incredible potential. Because he has playmaking ability. Because he can rebound because of his size. He's bringing all of those things to the table. There's the the tool set for a long-term NBA four who has defensive versatility, who can space from the outside, who can do some secondary or tertiary playmaking. All of the things that the Oklahoma City Thunder value. Usman Jang brings to the table. That is why they prioritized him in the draft, because he fits their vision. And that makes me think that they're going to give him the opportunity long-term to be that piece next to Chet Holmgren, that he could play with Giddy and Shea and Jalen Williams and Chet and be a big part of that core going forward. Now, a lot can change for Oklahoma City. And that's why, with Jang, I have moved him up to number 147 in my categories rankings. That's up 83 slots. Number 175 in points. That's up 45 slots. I'm saying that he needs to be rostered in all dynasty leagues, but I'm not projecting the kind of confidence where I'm saying the huge breakout is coming. It's possible. And I think there's a lot of indicators that he could break out either next year or the year after. But so much is in flux in Oklahoma City that. We're not pushing our chips all in on Usman Jang. We just see the outline of what Oklahoma City is trying to do and how he fits into it. And if it happens, if he becomes a big-minute player, we're seeing the, the outline of a fantasy stat set that could be valuable. So this is a guy who's probably forgotten in the shuffle. I think a lot of people, especially because they have doubts of, oh, you know, how, there are too many mouths to feed in Oklahoma City. That, that That's what everyone's going to be the constant refrain once Chet comes back and they bring in another lottery pick or they make some trades to add in more venerated pieces. Too many mouths to feed. Too many mouths to feed. That is a fantasy myth in basketball because guys contribute in ways other than scoring. And what everyone focuses on is, well, you know, where are all the shots going to go? As if that's the only way that you can contribute in fantasy basketball. Jang is a guy who can hit a bunch of threes and contribute in solid contributions in assists and rebounds and blocks. That's the kind of player that can be a lower usage player and still be valuable in fantasy. And it's a player that I'm looking to invest in this offseason because I think he's kind of gotten lost in the shuffle and people might not be aware of the growth that he made throughout this season. Now, if we're going even deeper under the radar, if we're talking about truly forgotten first-round picks, we have to talk about Peyton Watson. Uh, I talked about Peyton Watson a little bit with Josh Lloyd last week on his podcast, uh, but I'm going to bang the drum again because Peyton Watson went from a player at UCLA in his 
single college season who barely played, averaged like three points per game for a good UCLA team that just didn't really have space for him. He went from that to being somewhat of a surprise first-round pick, a guy who was a high-profile recruit, great NBA frame, great athleticism, but the Nuggets took a chance on him at the end of the first round. And it raised some eyebrows, but they seemed very confident in it. And if you were just watching what happened in the NBA, it was difficult to find too many positives for Peyton Watson until the final few games of the season. But what he was doing in the G League, that is where we saw an incredible leap forward to the player that before last college season, we thought Peyton Watson could be. one of the, We thought he might be one of the top freshmen in the country, and it didn't happen. But it did happen this year with the Grand Rapids Gold. Across 19 games, Peyton Watson averaged 20.5 points, a three, 7.2 rebounds, three assists, 1.5 steals, 1.4 blocks on a nearly 57% true shooting, and he also had above 80% from the free throw line on 3.8 attempts. Now, this was a big usage role. They let Peyton Watson explore the studio space in the G League, test out what he could do. But players, especially young players, don't always do this with that. And what's exciting about Watson is that there's the per-minute production because of those defensive stats for him to be a fantasy contributor, even just as a bench player. And at the end of the Nuggets season, in the last six games, Watson actually got real minutes. And you saw it happen. During that time, in his final six games, Watson played 22 minutes a night. He averaged 7.5 points, 4.7 rebounds, 1.5 assists, and 1.7 blocks. And these were some spectacular blocks, if you go find the highlights. Watson is even making appearances in the playoffs so far. It's pretty clear that the Nuggets are developing confidence in him to be a part of their rotation as early as next season. And it makes sense because Jeff Green, who is kind of defying father time, playing great at his age, is an expiring contract, an unrestricted free agent. And given the cap situation that the Nuggets have, there's a good chance that Jeff Green is going to be moving on to another contender, maybe for his final NBA season. Maybe he's got a few more in him but it might not be in Denver. And if it isn't, all of a sudden, those 19, almost 20 minutes that Jeff Green was playing tonight in Denver are open. And sure, some of the players that are already on this roster might fill them in, but Denver needs cheap rotation players to be able to fit around their expensive trio of stars in Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr. Peyton Watson could be that guy. As an energy player who can get, who can be a disruptor defensively, I think there's real fantasy potential even next year. A guy, if he's playing around 18, 19 minutes a night, if he does get that role that Jeff Green had, who could bring you some nights where he contributes steals and blocks in bunches. And long-term, if he grows to his highest end outcomes, it could be a really interesting fantasy player here who can shoot, doesn't kill you in percentages at all, but it can also bring defensive stats, strong rebound contributions. This is exactly the kind of player that we want to see around Nikola Jokic, who Nikola Jokic can maximize. So he might have been entirely forgotten. Peyton Watson may have been entirely forgotten in your dynasty league. If you're playing in a standard 12-team league, there's a good chance he's sitting on your waiver wire right now. I would submit that he should not be. I think this is one of the best stashes of the offseason. 
And I would implore you to take a look right now at your waiver wire and see if he's available in your league. Because right now at my end of season dynasty rankings, I've moved Watson up significantly. And I think that he's going to be a player who already has around top 200 dynasty value and is going to end up being a player who can dramatically improve on that if he gets more minutes. All right. Those are the guys that I wanted to be able to talk about today. I think that they're all players that you should be targeting in your league in the offseason. If anyone thinks that they're a sell high based on how they finished the season, I believe in how they finished. But what I want to finish out with today is a mailbag uh, that I've collected with questions from my Patreon supporters. This is something that I'm going to try to do in every episode. And if you want to be able to submit questions, if you want to have your questions answered live on air, um, I'm happy to be able to do it for all my supporters on Patreon. Head on over to patreon.com slash NBA Dynasty ADP. And I will be more than willing uh, to be able to go through each and every one of them on these shows at the end to be able to get you answers directly from me. Uh, Starting off with the first one that I received in the mailbag this week states either rookies or young players already in the league who could be the next high volume difference makers at free throw percentage and assists. So the question here is who are young players who could be the next elite contributors in those two categories, free throw percentage and assists. Now this is obviously a category. uh, These are categories that are dominated by point guards, uh, players who have heavy playmaking usage. Uh, So right off of the bat, And this is no surprise to anyone. The players who can make the biggest leaps there, Cade Cunningham, LaMelo Ball. We already saw Tyrese Halliburton do it this year. Uh, We saw Darius Garland make that leap. I think that Cade Cunningham and LaMelo Ball both had extremely disappointing seasons this year uh, because of injury. But I expect both to have massive 23-24 seasons, regardless of what happens in the NBA draft lottery. They're both going to have huge years, and they're both going to be massive contributors in free throw percentage and assists. Now, when you're talking about a little bit below that, you're looking for the player archetype, kind of like the Anthony Simons, the Jordan Poole, the Tyler Heroes of the world. Those guys are players who could be strong contributors and assists and free throw percentage if given the opportunity to be able to have even larger roles than what they do currently on their teams. And if Jordan Poole, for example, got moved by Golden State, if that's the big shift that they decide to make this offseason to be able to keep Draymond in the fold, but to be able to move some some of their uh, heavy luxury tax bill, Jordan Poole could be moved in the offseason. And if he gets moved to a team where he gets to start, where he gets to play 33, 34, 35 minutes a night, all of a sudden you're going to see his assist rate convert into assists at a pretty elite level because he will likely be a heavy on-ball player in that scenario. And you're going to see his elite free throw percentage have even more weight because he's going to be getting to the line even more because he's going to have the ball in his hands more. And we saw this already with Anthony Simons when Damian Lillard was moved on, was out uh, last season when he had the abdominal injury. Simons was an elite contributor in assists, in free throw percentage during that stretch. If Simons gets moved somewhere where he has a larger role, that could happen again. Tyler Hero, same situation. If Miami looks to make a big shift, bring in another star, Hero's part of that package, he could go to a new team where all of a sudden his elite free throw percentage has even more weight because he's getting to the line more in a heavier on-ball role. And we've seen him, when given the opportunity, put up assists. I think he could do that on a different team, uh, maybe a team that's rebuilding. Uh, wherever he ends up, I could see that being someone who could jump up in those categories. So what you're looking for are players 
first who have that strong free throw percentage because free throw percentage is fairly stable season to season. It can improve, but guys often show if they're good free throw shooters early on, even in college, you can tell if someone's going to be a good free throw shooter. Um, kind of off the radar for this, uh, to answer this question, Franz Wagner, uh, he was, I think, 90 plus percentile potential assists this year um, and showed really strong assist numbers down the stretch for the Magic. And he's already a strong free throw shooter. So there's a future where the Magic lean on that playmaking from Franz even a little bit more. And they just have a team that hits more shots. So those potential assists convert into real assists and Franz becomes a strong assist and free throw percentage contributor. So find those guys who are strong in free throw percentage and then look for guys who maybe with a different role could jump up and assist. Another one is Tyrese Maxey, who kind of fits into that Simon's pool archetype. Because if we've seen before before James Harden came to Philadelphia, that Tyrese Maxey was putting up really strong assist numbers. Anytime Harden's out, Maxey's assist numbers jump up. So in a scenario where James Harden leaves, you could see Maxey go back into what he was pre-Harden have that strong free throw percentage that he already has, see that increase because his usage will increase, he's going to be drawing more fouls, and also see the assist numbers come up to fill the playmaking usage void that would left, be left behind if Harden left. So those are some of the players that I'd be looking out for, and that's the kind of archetype that you want to be looking out for. Strong free throw percentage and opportunity to grow and assist. Next one here, uh, who from the Rockets' young core will retain slash increase value? At some point, with all these young guys and more top guys incoming, some will have to take a back seat. I think that's exactly right. Right now, Houston is an extremely strange roster that does not make sense uh, and is not sustainable long term. They have a bunch of young pieces. Uh, it's unclear whether they can fit together. Uh, but the first big move is going to be to see who they hire as a coach. The focus so far seems to be on establishing a defensive identity, which I think is exactly what needs to be done because it didn't happen under Steven Silas. Uh, you're looking at them uh, interviewing Amy Udoka, uh, Frank Vogel. Uh, those, those kinds of coaches are going to come in and try to establish a defensive identity for that team that desperately needs it. I think that could create an incredible opportunity for Tari Eason, who has the tools to become an elite wing defender, uh, massive hands, long wingspan, uh, great lateral quickness. Eason knows how to jump passing lanes. He can pickpocket, steal the ball. I think he could be a massive fantasy and real-life contributor if given the opportunity. And if a more defensive-minded coach came in, I could see Eason uh, being kind of a favorite there as long as he can earn the trust of that coach uh, and really lock in on that side of the ball. His minutes could jump up dramatically because he's such a disruptor and he could become long-term a lockdown wing defender, which every NBA team needs. Beyond that, uh, I think Jabari Smith Jr. is scalable to any NBA team that's trying to develop a core, a, a power forward that has the ability to be able to shoot with confidence from range the way that Jabari does uh, is exactly what most NBA teams want at the four position, especially because he doesn't uh, still brings you strong contributions as a rebounder. He can do a little bit of uh, rim protection. Uh, that's an area where he's still improving, but but there is the foundation there for that to be able to improve over time. I think that he's definitely a part of the Rockets core going forward and someone that I feel confident in, at least in his floor, because this past season, he was put in an awful position to do the things that he does well. Uh, he had a ninth percentile openness rating on three-pointers, according to Basketball Index, ninth percentile. Uh, 
because they made no attempt to be able to try to get him any space to be able to take a three-pointer. So he's taking three contested three-pointers all season. And lo and behold, a rookie who's taking a bunch of contested three-pointers did not have a good percentage. We saw that improve as the season went on. I think we'll see that improve with a new coaching staff that understands how they need to be able to help Jabari, to be able to get into the spots that he likes to be in shooting the ball. It's going to improve for Jabari, and I like him long-term. Now, you haven't heard me mention Kevin Porter Jr. so far. Um, I think that long-term Kevin Porter Jr. is probably not a starting point guard in the NBA. I think he's better suited uh, either to be a six-man or likely to be able to shift himself into being more of a role player because he can be a good catch-and-shoot three-point shooter, uh, because he could be a really great secondary playmaker. That's going to take a shift in mindset for him. Jalen Green, I am still still invested in. I, I think there's been too many flashes of what his athleticism can look like in an NBA court. Uh, that is, he develops physically, is able to finish at the rim a little bit better. He can still become a really good NBA scorer. Um, and I think that can fit into the long-term plan for Houston as well. And of course, uh, last but not least, Alperin Shangun. Now, Shangun obviously became the scapegoat of Steven Silas throughout this past season. Um, he he was pulled from games because the Rockets were getting toasted defensively. And if you watch it, yeah, there are times where Shangun looks a little bit awkward, like a lot of NBA centers who are put on an island, especially guys who are a little bit less athletic. You, you can see this all the time with Nikola Jokic, uh, Damana Samotis, guys where if they are uh, having to face a defender coming downhill with a full head of steam who's just blown by their defender, which all too often happened, with Houston, with Jalen Green, Kevin Porter Jr., and Jabari Smith Jr., all being poor defenders on the perimeter this past year, uh, Shangun looked awkward at times, trying to be able to decide on two awful choices, either trying to, uh, you know, close out on a driving defend uh, on a driving uh, player, or to be able to stay on his man and not give up a easy pass for an uncontested dunk. So. I think that as the defensive fundamentals around Alper and Shangun improve, he can at least become kind of a Nikola Vucevic, uh, someone who isn't going to really help you defensively, but might not kill you either because he has really good feel because he's an extremely intelligent player because I do think he communicates well defensively and he does make an effort a lot of the time. There are times where all of Houston looked like they weren't making an effort and they had a horrible defensive identity. They didn't have a defensive identity. I think that can improve. I think Shangun can be a part of the next really great Rockets team, uh, but it's definitely something to look out for because if a defensive coach comes in, they might want a defensive center and you could see Shangun moved on from in the next season. And that doubt is why I don't have Shangun as high as his fantasy stat set would likely warrant and his age would like likely warrant. Uh, if we had confidence that Shangun was going to be a 30, 32 minute a night starter across his entire prime, you would need to have him likely as high as the top 15 in dynasty rankings. Uh, but he gets held back into the thirties and the forties in a lot of rankings because we still have those doubts. I still think that there's a lot of high-end outcomes for Shangun going forward. I think they need to see what it looks like in a real team playing real NBA defense, what Shangun looks like in that. And I'm hopeful that that's what we'll get from the Rockets next year and going forward. Next question here. What team in the lottery should we be worried about that could ruin Victor Wembanyama's ceiling? Um, I'm going to reject this concept. Uh, no team is going to ruin Victor Wembanyama's ceiling. The question is, whose ceilings is Victor Wembanyama going to ruin when he comes to a new NBA team? And we're going to see that in a little over three weeks when the NBA draft lottery occurs and see who gets the number one pick. But in my opinion, 
no team that Weminyama could go to is going to limit who he's going to be as an NBA player. He is the level level of prospect that he's going to get a full runway to do exactly what he does, regardless of which team he goes to. Um, and an NBA team would clear out prospects around him to make sure that he gets that full runway. So I don't think any team is going to ruin Victor Weminyama. The real question is, how is he going to impact the young players and prospects on whatever lottery team ends up getting him? And that's something that we're going to be covering here extensively uh, in com- upcoming podcasts uh, and in my content across the entire offseason. Once we know who Victor Weminyama is going to, and we're going to know that in a little over three weeks. Next one here, who are some of your early predictions for potential second round steals in this 2023 NBA draft? Um, a lot of guys that I really like in that range. And it's difficult right now because we don't know who is going to be in the draft, who's going to pull out. Uh, but to give you an idea on some guys who are kind of fringe first round picks, I love Bilal Koulibaly uh, from Metro 92. Uh, he's Victor Weminyama's teammate. Really interesting 18-year-old prospect with strong steal and block rates. Uh, could be a really strong wing prospect. He might go in the first round. He might go in the early second. Uh, we don't know if he's going to stay in the draft. These are all really interesting questions that are going to have to get answered. But at least in my preliminary work, the stat set is really interesting. Um, some guys who likely are going to be second-round picks if they're in this draft. Uh, Keontae Johnson uh, for Kansas State. Older prospect. He's almost only 20. Oh, all, almost already 24 years old, uh, but the stat set was awesome this year for Kansas State. Big contributor in field goal percentage, points, threes, rebounds, steals, um, no real strong deficiencies in his fantasy game. And so while he's older for second round picks, I don't really care about that. I just want a fantasy stat set and a prospect that might actually get minutes. And if they're 24 years old already, fine. Because at that point in a rookie draft, or in a real-life NBA draft, I just want contributors. I want guys who are going to be in the league. Uh, so Keontae Johnson has all the markers of someone who could be a contributor in fantasy if he got the opportunity to play, someone who might get opportunity to play early, whether that be on a two-way contract, or maybe he does end up getting drafted high enough to be able to get some kind of get guaranteed deal. Uh, I really like Keontae Johnson. Uh, Brandon Pajemski is really an interesting fantasy stat set. It sounds like he's going to stay in the draft. Um, it's possible some team likes him enough to be able to take him in the first round. I think it's really going to come down to uh, workouts, what he does at the combine. Uh, but if he, he could be a potential second round pick. And uh, this is a guy who is was obviously a really strong scorer for Santa Clara, uh, but he kind of has an, an elite rebound rate for his size as a scoring guard um, and solid contributions across assists and steals and blocks as well. So there's a really interesting fantasy stat set that I think could translate to the NBA. Uh, and I'm super interested. He's probably one of the the deeper prospects that I'm most interested to see where he goes in the NBA draft because the range is pretty wide. And I think he could be interested in fantasy depending on his landing spot. Um, those are some of the guys that I'm looking out for now. I'm going to be turning myself over kind of entirely to the NBA draft in the coming weeks. Uh, once the lottery happens, that's going to be kind of me shifting into focusing on that, getting out rookie rankings for points and categories leagues, uh, building out my big board uh, with all the advanced stats that I like to look at. And we're going to be focusing on that a lot in this podcast as well. All right. Uh, who are your top 10 real salary players next year? Now, if you don't know, real salary leagues are leagues uh, – usually dynasty leagues, but sometimes you can play it in season long as well, where you have to play within uh, either the NBA salary cap, the soft cap, the luxury tax threshold, something similar to what the NBA's cap structure looks like. You need to build your roster out within that framework using real 
NBA salaries for all of the players in the pool. Uh, I love this format for Dynasty. I think it's the best format, especially for deeper Dynasty leagues, because naturally, as a team gets really good in Dynasty, it's going to get more expensive in real life, too. And it forces the top teams to constantly turn over those more expensive players to be able to stay within the cap. So this creates natural parity and, uh, and turnover within the league that prevents teams from trading their way into an absolute juggernaut team. And it actually makes 30-team, 20-team leagues work because no team can stay at the top without constantly trying to make moves every year to stay within the cap um, if they have a strong team because that strong team is just naturally going to get more expensive. Now you're talking about top 10 real salary players. I think this is something that I'll probably do um, in dynasty rankings, but to give you all an idea, uh, when you're talking about real salary leagues, it immediately puts a huge value on rookie contracts, especially players who can contribute in fantasy on their rookie contracts. So someone like Jalen Williams, Walker Kessler, I think Paolo Boncaro next year, Chet Holmgren, they're all going to be incredible values in real salary leagues because they're on rookie contracts. And they're going to be on rookie contracts over the next three seasons. So if you're in a season-long league, they're cheap next year. If you're in a dynasty real salary league, they're going to be cheap for the next three years. And even after that, they're cost-controlled somewhat because their second contracts are limited even on max deals to be either 25% or 30% of the salary cap, which is a lot less than what you can get on some of the super max deals that the uh, NBA stars on their fourth, third or fourth contracts are on. So there is some value there. Guys that I really like, obviously, Kate Cunningham, LaMelo Ball, Anthony Edwards, Tyrese Halliburton, all real salary stars because they're still on their rookie contracts, but they'll also be able to produce, I think, next year around top 25 or higher levels. Halliburton could be a top five player next year, and he's on an extremely cheap deal uh, next season. Now, obviously, he's going to go up after that. We're going to see him get his second contract. It's almost certainly going to be a rookie max extension. Uh, it might even be a rules, Rose Rule max extension uh, where he's getting 30% of the salary cap. But we've seen that those kinds of players, even on those deals, can still be huge values in real salary. Uh, so some of the, those are some of the players that I'll be looking out if you play in that format. Next question here, uh, what are my long-term thoughts on Jalen Suggs? It was obviously a disappointing second season from Suggs. Uh, it was a disappointing rookie season as well. There was some improvement. He was more efficient from the field. He did not lose confidence in his three-point shot. He continued to take him. He hit him at a better clip this past year, even though it was below league average. I'm still hopeful on Jalen Suggs, and maybe I'm just holding on too deeply to my pre-draft evaluation where I really liked him, but I think the reasonable high-end outcome for Jalen Suggs is still something like Marcus Smart. And I think there's still a glimmer of possibility that he could be kind of a discount Drew Holiday because the defensive ability, the steal rate is awesome. He improved, improved in his block rate this year. I think he's going to contribute defensive stats if he gets minutes. The swing skill, of course, like it is with so many players, is can he hit a shot? Because if he can at least be a good catch-and-shoot three-point shooter, if he can still deliver some secondary playmaking on that Magic roster, I think he can be a big-minute starter. And if that happens, you're going to get those elite steals. You're going to get solid contributions from blocks. And he can kind of live in that top 75 range, at least, and be a hover around there like Marcus Smart has um, across his NBA career. That's still on the table for Jalen Suggs. But we want to see that leap forward next year. We want to see in year three him make some progression. And I'm hoping we're going to be able to get that from him um, even though it's getting a little bit more crowded in Orlando. And I'm really interested to see what the Magic do. Adding in um, more draft picks this year 
it's going to be difficult for them unless they move on from some players like Cole Anthony. Maybe they move Jalen Suggs. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do and how that's going to shape their trajectories for all these young players going forward. Something we're going to be watching extremely closely, especially after the lottery next month, to be able to figure out where the Magic roster is headed. Next question, who do you consider to be sleepers in a 12-team 9-cat league? Um not to criticize this, but this is exactly the kind of question where we need more context because not all 12 team leagues are built the same way. Uh, some of them, you can only roster 13, 14 players on a team, and that creates a pretty small pool of players that are rostered. So who's a sleeper in that league is a lot different than a league where you can roster 20 or 22 players per team. And all of a sudden the pool of players nearly doubles in size. So who the sleepers that you would find in that kind of league are a little bit different. So, you know, kind of as a, a uh, teaching point here, when we have questions like this, when you're asking questions to a fantasy analyst, make sure that you're contextualizing about how many players are rostered in the league, because then it can be a lot more helpful to be able to give you some ideas. Because you can look at my dynasty ranks if you're league roster on 200 players and see players who are ranked around that 200 range and see who's available on your waiver wire. And you'll get an idea of amongst young players who I think is a sleeper. So that would be my focus. Uh, try to look at how many players are rostered in your league and find that range within the dynasty rankings to be able to find sleepers. Second to last question here. What's Jaden McDaniels fantasy ceiling in nine cat? I love Jaden McDaniels. You all know that I, I made a big investment in him in my rankings before the season. And I think that largely paid off McDaniel McDaniels per game. Yeah, hovered around that top 100 range, uh, but we saw him become the defensive wing that we thought he could be last year and that we thought he would rise to be once the Gobert trade happened and it opened up a bunch of minutes for him. So the minutes are there. The defensive ceiling is extremely high, which is going to make his minutes consistent. But what really interested me with Jaden McDaniels is that we started to see flashes of the prospect and player that he was before he came to the NBA, uh, when he was at Washington, when he was in high school, uh, this was a guy who was not seen as a defensive prospect. That that was kind of came as a surprise in his NBA career that he's developed into that kind of player. He was more of a scorer, uh, kind of a big wing who had some some handle for a guy who was 6'9", who had, showed an ability to be able to get to the rim. And we've seen flashes of that this season from Jaden McDaniels uh, prior to him punching a wall and breaking his hand where when Anthony Edwards was out, Jane McDaniels looked like a player who could maybe develop into a scoring wing long-term. And if you pair that with his defensive ability, the big minutes that he's likely to have, I think there's still a top 50 ceiling uh, across his prime for Jaden McDaniels. If that offensive ability that he's kind of just scratching the surface of continues to develop. And I think the minutes will allow him to do that. I think his efficiency from all three levels suggests that with more usage, he could become a good scorer in the NBA. Um, so he's a player that I'm going to be looking at really closely this offseason to really evaluate that. But I, I do think there's top 50 uh, potential across his prime for Jaden McDaniels because I think the offensive ability really could make him leap full forward as soon as next year. Last question here. Who do you think will do better in a points league, Brandon Miller or Amen Thompson? Um, for me, it's Amen Thompson. And in a points league, especially because with the men Thompson, you're looking at that profile uh, where he's going to be a contribute solid points, even if he doesn't fully develop as an offensive player, he's going to be a strong rebounder. He's going to give you big assist numbers. And when you have those three, when you're at least a solid to good contributor in points, rebounds and assists, you're going to be a really good points league player. And 
you know, it's like the reason that RJ Barrett is much better in points than categories. And then I add on top of that, that Amen Thompson is going to bring you defensive stats. And all of a sudden you see a stat set that's pretty ideally built for points leagues. Brandon Miller is also going to be good in points leagues. I think that his scoring uh, is a solid rebounder. Those things contribute to being a solid a points league player. It doesn't have the assist element. And that's not going to be the, the way, same way that it is for Amen Thompson. So the floor is going to be a little bit lower, uh, even though I think he's on more solid footing because he's such a good shooter, uh, that he's the bust factor there. The potential for the worst case outcomes is lower with Brandon Miller because he's likely to at least be a solid NBA player just because he has size and he has shooting ability as a little bit of a handle. There's skill there. Every NBA team wants that. Even if he doesn't develop the way that we expect, He's still going to be probably at least a starter in the NBA. Well, that takes us to the end here. And it's been an incredible ride through episode number one. We're going to keep doing this. We did it. The episode is in the books. If you want more shows, please, please subscribe to the Fantasy Basketball International channel on YouTube. Even if you don't normally watch on YouTube, Please subscribe because it's going to give us an opportunity to be able to grow what we're doing, to give me the wind of my sails, to be able to continue to do this week after week. And subscribe on your podcast platform of choice, wherever you're listening to this, make sure to follow us there. So you can get be the first to be able to get the new episodes. Um, and so we can really get that support that we need to be able to continue to grow this platform. If you can, give us a review because it makes a huge difference in being able to grow this podcast network. And if you have comments, suggestions, or questions, please send them to me on Twitter at NBA Dynasty ADP. And finally, if you want to support the show, if you want to support my work as a whole, all that I ask is that you consider, regardless of your financial circumstances, take a look at supporting me on Patreon at patreon.com slash NBA Dynasty ADP. I promise to make it worth your while. If you want to look into joining new Dynasty Leagues, you'll get the first opportunity to be able to do that if you're a supporter on Patreon. And you're going to get access to all kinds of exclusive content that you don't get anywhere else other than on Patreon. Thank you so much for joining me today. I can't wait to see you all next time. And please, please submit all those questions for me on Patreon. Send me things on Twitter. Let me know how this went. If you want to see more shows, whatever kind of shows that you want to see, I want to be able to support what you want from this podcast. I'm so thrilled to be doing this with you all. Thank you for the support that you've shown me. And I'm looking forward to seeing you all again next week. You just listened to another episode from the Fantasy Basketball International Podcast Network. Thanks for joining us. And for more information about joining our community, please check out our website at fbibasketball.com.